Hi everyone, uh, today we're going to continue our series looking at what kind of church do we want to be and what kind of church does Bristol need to see and today we've got onto the subject really of being of diversity, of being a diverse church for Bristol and for Jesus of course. Um, and in, in, in exploring this we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 11 uh, to 22. Um, and we're going to see here uh, the nature of the challenge of diversity, uh, the solution that God has brought, and the outcome uh, to his finished work on the cross. Uh, and it's all here. It's, it's, it's rich theology. It's going to take some work this morning. So I do hope that you're ready to focus and concentrate. Um, so please, let's do this. And let's just ask for God's help before we read the passage. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that we are those who were far away and yet we've been brought close. We were outside of your family and we've been invited to be part of your family. Thank you Lord Jesus, you've done all this through Jesus on the cross, that we were dead and you've made us alive. Lord, we were in, uh, in the darkness and you've brought us into the light. We thank you this is what you've done and Father help us to celebrate this and to understand this um, from your words today. Lead us by your spirit we pray. Amen. So let's read these verses. Therefore, remember that you formerly who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He, he came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself, as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you two are built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So Paul is addressing the church in Ephesus, but this letter will be circulated more widely. And he's explaining to this church and other churches that why what Jesus has done has brought unity in the midst of diversity and the diversity he's talking about is diversity of race and that's the challenge that Paul is uh, laying before these Ephesian believers that God has built a new community from every tribe and tongue filled with the spirit and worshiping God together that's where this passage is headed that's the intention that's what God has done that's what Paul is describing the finished work of Jesus has accomplished 
but he's going to lead us through an argument to get there. He's going to show us why what Jesus did has accomplished that, and he's going to do it in some detail. So we're going to look at, at firstly, the nature of the problem, which is in our translation, the, the first paragraph, the second paragraph, which is the solution to the problem, and the third paragraph, which is the outcome, this new humanity that Jesus has created. So the church in Ephesus, as we've probably understood by now, was comprised of Jews and Gentiles. And as we unpack that passage, we're going to see just the nature of the challenge they were facing and the challenges that we also face in our world and here in Bristol too, of course. Bristol is a diverse city, but it's quite segregated. If you travel from uh, kind of area to area within the city and parish to parish maybe, or, or postcode to postcode, you will see that, yeah, people are happy to be Bristolians, but they're quite separated into communities. And Paul is saying, hey, it would be great if those communities could find a way of being family together. And he's saying the way that they can and the way they should is in faith and in the church. That's how these communities can find their way together to be a worshipping family before the throne of God. So let's look at the nature of the problem as described by Paul here in Ephesians chapter 2. These first uh, two or three verses. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now Christ, uh, Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So lots of weird ideas, maybe slightly shocking for a church service, but here we go. <laughs> Paul uses two words to describe the nature of this historic separation, uh, which is now proving such a challenge for this church in Ephesus and others, and maybe us too, and that is this. And the words kind of mean the same thing, Gentiles and, and, and circumcision. He's using these two words, which kind of necessarily mean the same thing. See, before Jesus came, the world would be dis divided in faith terms into two groups, Jews and Gentiles, um, uh, which was essentially the Jews and everybody else, <laughs> the Jewish nation and all the other nations on the earth. They were the Gentiles. Um, and the, uh, the Jews were God's chosen people. And they were chosen for what? Well, they were chosen to carry the promise of God, uh, uh, to carry the promise of God's global rescue plan through the centuries until the time was right for Jesus to be born out of them. And we'll see what Jesus accomplished having been brought out of them. But this promise was always meant to be for more than just the Jewish nation, although for many centuries it was just within the Jewish nation. And that, was, uh, that understanding that it was to flow out from the nation to the nations was in that promise made to Abraham way back there, at the beginning of the story. I will bless you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So it was always there in the promise, the promise of other nations being blessed too, but for so long it was all caught up inside the Jewish nation. Now the physical sign of this special relationship the Jews had with God, the, the, the covenant promise was circumcision. And on the eighth day every Jewish boy would be circumcised, circumcised and that was uh, and so they, they came to be known as the circumcised, and that's what the Jews in Ephesus are, are talking about. Um, so, uh, a so, yeah, strange to our ears, peculiar concept, but that's how, um, that's how it was. 
So the physical sign of this special relationship, this covenant promise, was circumcision. But the Jews would then use this term that, here in the passage to describe this difference. It sounds strange to us, but they were saying that we are the circumcision and you are the uncircumcised. Like, like we are the in crowd and you are the out crowd. Um, and by this point, it was almost a derogatory term that it could have been banded about within the church. You know, you are the, oh no, you're not part of the circumcised. You are outside. And so anyone who wasn't a Jew could get the idea that the Gentile believers, you know, they, they didn't really belong. They're not really part of this, which of course is completely counter to the gospel. And Paul is riling against exactly that <coughs> in this passage. So whilst this, whilst this was the way the old covenant worked, it has no part in the church, as Paul goes on to explain. You who are separated, you are now, you now belong together uh, because of what Jesus has done, because of his blood on the cross. Jesus changed everything for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And they, get, they need to get used to this fact and start behaving as a family together. So let's have a look at this. Let's uh, see this picture of the temple and try and understand um, this plan view of the temple. Try and understand how the law that the Jews uh, had to um, keep uh, the, the laws they had to keep and the temple kind of go together because they're very much related. The problem with the law, of course, the, the old Jewish way of relating to God with its rituals and rules and sacrifices, the problem with it was what? Well, it was never finished. It was never complete. It had to be repeated again and again because the sinfulness of the people was not finally and completely dealt with. And the sacrifices, of course, were this constant reminder of the people's sinfulness. And even with all the rules and laws, the Jewish people, as you can see from the picture, were still separated from the presence of God. If you look at the, at the plan view, what do you have? Well, even in the way the temple is constructed, you can see something of these separations. In the centre, you've got the Holy of Holies. That's where God dwelt, by his Spirit. That's where he was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the high priest could only go once a year, this thick, heavy, enormous curtain. Um, separated the presence of God from all of the people. Then you see the place where the burnt offerings would have taken place. This was, uh, this was because sin was a constant, uh, a constant problem that had to be dealt with, and repeatedly those sacrifices were made. Then you've got the court of the men, the court of Israel, and then, and then here's the one that we need to look at: the outside court, beyond a wall, is the court of the Gentiles. So they are separated. They can look but they can't come in. They can see, they can maybe sense something of God's presence, maybe, I don't know, but they can't come in. They are separate. There is the dividing wall. There is where the hostility lies. And the laws and the rules around food and hygiene meant that the Jews and the Gentiles just couldn't relate together. Remember, the point of all those rules and laws was to bring Jesus to birth, was to carry the purity of promise to the point where Jesus would be born. So there, there's the dividing wall. Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility. There it is, literally, physically in the temple. Can't come in. You can't get near to God. But also, look, it's not just the Gentiles, that all of Israel, the court of the men, and then the priests, and then the, 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 the altar with its sacrifices, and then the Holy of Holies. Everyone's separated from God to a certain extent. 
and separated, of course, for our purposes here from each other. So what's the solution? Well, Paul continues in this passage that we've read, for he himself, himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to you who are, and, pre, and, and peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father, by one Spirit. So the separation is there for all to see, but what Jesus has done was to take the walls down. Now, how did he do this? Do you remember Jesus said, "I'm going to this temple is going to come down." Of course, he was referring to his own body, but of course, he was also not just talking about himself dying and being raised again he was talking about the end of the separation the end of the segregation the end of the hostility between god and all the people and between the people and the people between the jews and the gentiles it all was to end because of what he had done so how how did he do this how was this accomplished well firstly jesus fulfilled the law now the law it is expressed there in the way the temple is built. Jesus fulfilled the law. He completed it, if you like. Remember we said how the sacrifices had to be repeated again and again because sin was never really dealt with. Well, Jesus completes the law perfectly. He does it like no one else has ever done it. He fulfills it. He completes it. And he lived perfectly. And here's the important thing. He had no sin of his own that required sacrifice that was a uniqueness of jesus that no one else needed to die for his sin because he didn't have any no one else needed to be punished because he had never sinned the second thing he did so he fulfilled the law second thing he did he removed the reason for the law which is the sin that separates so he became the final ultimate sacrifice for all the sin of everyone for all time and so the, the, the reason for the law is removed because now sin no longer separates because it has been finally dealt with completely and ultimately in his own body. He has become the sacrifice. He has drawn together the presence of God and the people in his own body by being the sacrifice finally for all sin and for all time, for those who put their faith in Jesus. 2 Corinthians and 5.21 says this, God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus died, we know, don't we, that the temple curtain that separated the people, even the priests, <laughs> except for one once a year, from the presence of God, it was torn top to bottom. Now, my goodness, this is shocking. This is horrific. This, this is un, unthinkable for the Jews who for their whole experience, a lifetime, have recognised that separation. They were outside of God's presence. And now God's in the marketplace. Jesus is with all the people, eating with them, drinking with them, sharing life with them. God is with them like he never was before. This is completely new. Why? Because sin has been dealt with. He's paid the price. 
It's finished. The law is done. It's not bad. It's just completed. It has been completed in his own body. The third thing he did was this. He takes the place of the law, the place of reconciliation between God and the people. He takes its place. Now it's Jesus that we relate to, not the law. And he connects us to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through me. Remember Jesus said that? We now connect to the Father because of Jesus. He's done it. He's finished it. It's all done. Now there's no need for a curtain. There's no need for the walls. They all come down. And when the wall between God and the people was removed, all the walls came down too. Because the law's been dealt with. There's no unclean, unclean now. It's all in the presence of God. All done by the blood of Jesus. The people are no longer separated from God. The curtain is torn. It's done. The presence of God is experienced by both Jews and Gentiles alike. This is so shocking. It was so horrific for the, for the Jews to get, come to terms. They were going to take some time to get used to this idea. And through Acts, we see kind of a progressive revelation of them understanding the depth and breadth of what Jesus has done. We think, oh, well, Jesus died for my sins. Yes, but he did so much more. He destroys this hostility between people because he has finally dealt with the hostility between God and the people, which is sin, of course. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, the apostle Peter, has a graphic depiction of what God has done in, in destroying this dividing wall. Peter has a vision. How would that have gone? I don't know. <laughs> like a waking dream, let's say. And in this vision, a net comes down from heaven and it's full of, according to the Jewish law, according to the customs and ceremonies and rituals, it was full of unclean animals. Animals that he, he couldn't eat. And from a child, it would have been drummed into him. These are unclean. You can't eat them. You can't touch them. And as this net full of unclean animals comes down to him, he is offered them by God, who says, take and eat. And Peter is confused. <laughs> he said, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, this isn't supposed to happen. Anyway, he wakes from the vision and almost immediately he's contacted by Cornelius the centurion, the Roman soldier, the Roman captain of soldiers. <laughs> That's who he is. He's a, he's a centurion, a captain of, of, of many men. Now, he's not only not a Jew, but he's a Roman and a centurion. He, he would have been hated by the Jews, hated because of all the ritual laws, and hated because he was a Roman and hated because he had oppressed the, the Jewish nation. And so he is invited, and here's the shocker, <laughs> here's the thing that's thrown Peter. So he says, come and tell me about Jesus. What's Peter to do? Now, on the strength of the vision he'd had, he goes. Goes to Cornelius' house and he preaches the good news of Jesus to this community who are not Jewish people. And here's what happens. Here is what happens. And in this moment, we see the practical outworking of what Jesus did on the cross. On the strength of the vision and the circumstance that Peter has experienced, he goes and preaches to this household. While he's speaking to them, like I am to you now, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, falls on this mixed-race household. They experience the Holy of Holies. God himself comes to them and fills them and they start speaking in tongues. All the walls are gone. 
all the walls are gone. And Peter has to then start explaining to other groups of Christians, look what's happened. God himself has approved. He has said no walls. This is what he's doing. And they would be back and forth with this argument for some time, it seems, through the book of Acts. But it is a, a, an outworking of the gospel of Jesus that has taken away the dividing wall between God and people and between people and people. The, the necessity for it is all gone. So the third paragraph, we read this. Consequently, what's the outcome? Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together, together to become a dwelling place for God where God lives by his spirit. What does a church look like then that believes the gospel, that is celebrating this finished work of Jesus? Well, it looks like this. He describes the wonderful consequences of the walls coming down, of everyone having access to the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God himself. Jesus, God himself, walking and interacting with the people, the Holy Spirit pouring himself into Jews and Gentiles alike. It's stunning and shocking. Paul says the church is built on this cornerstone of what Jesus has done. And what does a cornerstone do? Well, it's the first stone laid, and from it, the whole building, as it's built, is orientated. This is how the church is to be orientated with regards to this hostility between the races. Gone, dealt with, finished with, so far behind us. It's, it's something that we must... Uh, fight against continually if we see it. As I said, it's shocking for the Jews. It's going to take them a while to understand that this is the orientation now for God's church and God's people. No race has an advantage. No one can claim superiority. There's no kind of, oh, you are the uncircumcised, we are the circumcised group. We're the ones who really belong, you don't belong. And any other iteration of that, which is racism, brothers and sisters, that's what it is. So, what do we do? How do we respond? How, how do we live in Bristol as a result of what Jesus has done? Well, have nothing to do, firstly, have nothing to do with the rebuilding of walls that God has demolished. This should make us furious. It should make us furious in the culture when we see it. When we see walls between races artificially erected, we should tear them down. We should be the first in line to tear them down. So we see people being unjustly treated because of their race. It should make us furious because it is directly, it's directly challenging the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Directly. This is a gospel issue. It's about what he's done and what he's finished with. What he's saying, he has said, he's swiped it aside. And he hasn't just swiped it aside. It has been won in his own body as he bled on the cross. It's what he did. In his body, says Paul, this dividing wall has been removed. In his body it's done. So we should be furious when we see it. But listen, brothers and sisters, we should be furious when we see it in the culture around us. Or when we see it in, our, in laws and rules and just attitudes. But here's the thing. We should be furious when we see it in ourselves too. We should, we should root it out because what we are doing is we're saying, I want to bring 
my attitudes and actions and thoughts, my processes, I want to bring them under the Lordship of Christ because he's done so much for me. He's brought me close and now I want everyone close. Close to me, close to him, brothers and sisters together. Secondly, make every effort to celebrate cultures that you weren't born into. That was the problem, I guess, in Ephesus. The, the circumcision group, the Jewish group, were saying, no, this is how you really do things culturally. And that was inappropriate now. It's not appropriate now. We can celebrate the different cultures together under the Lordship of Christ, of course, but we celebrate them together. And let's be a church that does that. Let's celebrate one another. Celebrate not not trying to hide our differences, but celebrate them together. Thirdly, if you are part of the majority culture in any context you find yourself in, make conscious efforts by all means you can to make all cultures and people feel part of the family. A church like that, a church like that, that recognises there are advantages to being in the majority, but saying, no, we, we set those aside and we celebrate everyone, consciously and with effort. And this is why. You were outside and Jesus brought you inside. You were far off and he brought you close. Go follow Jesus. Do the same. Be people who carry on the work that he has begun. In fact, if you think about it and you think of that, uh, of the plan of the temple, the inside became the outside and the outside became the inside. Inside and outside no longer relevant when it comes to race and relationship. And then finally, Revelation 7. At the end of the book, where are we headed? Where does this all go? Well, it's, it's a glorious picture of how the church should be. After this I looked, says the Apostle John, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, tongue and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There it is the final number those who've come to christ in faith they are one family to before god all of them before the throne what do we see here not a faceless army not an amorphous mass of humanity no every nation tribe and tongue all the languages all the colors all the flavors they're all there this is the picture this is where we go this is what god wants this is what he's won for us and this is how it ends as it were a perfect worshipful moment. All the people, all the languages together. Not one is complete without the other one. No one culture seeking to, seeking to dominate. No one language seeking to be superior. Finding, but each finding their place in the symphony. The full orchestra of praise before the throne. Complete, finished, as intended. Let's be a church like that. Let's be a church that aims for that. Now, there are challenges on the way. Of course there are. We're going to make mistakes. Yes, we are. But let's believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The end of division between us and God and us and us. It's just us now. <laughs> a glorious family filled with the Spirit, celebrating diversity, worshipping our great God. Father, help us as we seek to be a church like this. Father, we know that as we look at this wonderful 
visions in the Bible. We know sometimes we, we know we're a far way off and, and some of us might feel it more even after hearing this. Help us, Spirit of God, help us. This is what you want. We need your help to find our way there. And I pray for some who've got to look uh, inside themselves and make changes. Help us, help me to make the changes necessary to more glorify your finished work, Lord Jesus. Amen.